0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, will you please turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. So uh, by way of introduction, I personally hate it when the power goes out at the house. Um, I, uh, I hate how you can't get the car out. I hate how the internet doesn't work. I hate how you can't open the fridge because you let the cold out. Uh, My wife and I, we used to live in an old house um, in the North Valley, maybe 60, 70 years old, something like that. And we lost power because the line itself got frayed and so they had to replace the whole line and so we didn't have power for about three days, which in the context of, I think the world, that's literally probably nothing. But for us, that was a really, really, really long time. But it's kind of weird when you lose power. That's what I think. Years ago, I was at the Dukes. Y'all remember the Dukes? Yes. I, love, I like the isotopes, but I love the Dukes. Okay, so we were at the Dukes and we were, uh, me and my buddy were there and we were watching a game and right in the middle of the game, the whole thing lost power. Pew. And it was the craziest experience because you're in this, in this, you know, area with thousands of different people. All of a sudden, there's no music, there's no ambient sound, it's just quiet. And people start losing their minds when there's no light. That's actually, I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's been my experience. And so people were, people were yelling, people were throwing things. And I thought like, this is getting like Braveheart in here, <laughs> um, it was just kind of, I was thinking we we're going to start fashioning weapons, you know, with sticks or something. Uh, and the lights came on and everyone was, oh, okay. And then they sat down chilled. It was fine. But... I think it's strange when you don't have light. And I think it's, um, you don't fully appreciate how much you depend on light um, than when, as when you don't have it. Like when you don't have light, all of a sudden that becomes the most important thing in the world. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about light. And we're in a series called Only Love is Real on the book of First John, flying through only three weeks. Uh, it's not enough time to cover everything. But like I told you last week, the the gospel of John, is written by a guy named John and it's a really unique perspective in the Bible because he's the only one of the 12 disciples to uh, have died of natural causes. So he lived likely to be in his 90s. He followed Jesus maybe when he was a teenager likely, possibly 20. Uh, And so he is the only person in all of the Bible writers that had this experience of being one of Jesus' 12 disciples and then mixing that with 70 years of experience. He's, He's looking back, and he's thinking back about his time with Jesus uh, 70 years ago. And he's followed Jesus this entire time. And so he has this unique wisdom, I think, that's unique in the Bible. And John's, John's vision, well, let's say it like this. He is one of the four gospel writers. Y'all know the other ones? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, their books are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they're very similar. Uh, but the Gospel of John is very weird, very different, very non-traditional when it comes to the structuring of his book. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're interested in mostly uh, what God, through Jesus, what God did and what God said. John, though, is different in that John is mostly interested in who God is, who, what his character is like. And so John will say in different parts of his writing, like 1 John chapter 4, that we talked about last week, for example, he'll say, God is love. And then in the Gospel of John chapter 4, he'll actually say this God is spirit. And then uh, in 1 John chapter one, which is what we're talking about this morning, he say that, he'll say this, God is light. Notice that he's not saying God is a light or he's not even saying that God is the light. He's saying this, God is light. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse four, the God of this age, he's talking about the devil, right? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light what light like what what is he what is he talking about it's kind of a hard concept to get i think in a way because if you talk about god being love god is love most people would understand essentially what we're talking about there, like you understand what love is, you understand how, how the cross was the ultimate self-expression of God's love for us. So it's really kind of a simple concept. And if you even were to say this, God is spirit, well, that's not that hard to understand either, right? Which essentially saying that God is immaterial, right? He's, he's not made of atoms, not made of flesh and bone like you and I, He's, he's the creator and he exists outside of creation. But if we're to say God is light, a lot of people would say, huh? What does that, what does that mean? Well, and uh, light is actually a theme that you see over and over and over. It's a big theme in the Bible. The Bible begins with light and the Bible ends with light. So if you go to, uh, for example, the very first book of your Bible, Genesis chapter one, we see God creating the world and what force does he use to create it? His words, right? And what's the first thing that he says? Let there be what? Light, right? So the first thing that God creates is light. And then if you go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, it's the last chapter in your Bibles, we see this, that when the kingdom of God comes, it says this, that there will be only light. And in fact, it says the glory of Jesus will shine so bright that we don't even need the sun. And then between those two references in your Bibles, you see this theme of light appear about 200 different times. You know, in the Old Testament, we see that God reveals himself to his people as light. He he appears to the Israelites and Moses in particular as light. In fact, one time Moses goes up to meet with God. He goes up the mountain, right? And he sees the light of God and the light of God is is so brilliant that it, gets on him, like it sinks into his skin or something. And so then he goes back down and it says this, that his face is shining like the sun, right? And so, so we see that, that light and darkness are a theme in the Bible. And I think if you want to really appreciate light, you have to understand darkness. In the Bible, it's amazing that the Bible says this, that the world is in Darkness. And actually, most people in our culture wouldn't agree with that, right? Most people would think that, like, even even without God, we are pretty, we're a pretty moral people, right? We're pretty good, even apart uh, from God. And so the idea of God being light feels almost dull, right? It's just like that's not that interesting of an idea. If you feel like it's already bright outside, then the idea of having a flashlight is not that big of um, a concept. Really what has happened, though, is we've just become acclimated to the dark. Right? In fact, I was reading a while back about this research student who went to Alaska, the Arctic Circle. Are you familiar? So at the Arctic Circle, there's five and a half months of pure daytime. Right? And then there's five and a half months of nothing but dark. And so she arrives and just day after day, week after week of nothing but pitch black night. Uh, and she says at first, it's the most eerie, creepy, weird th- experience in the world. But she says after a few weeks, you, eh, you're fine. Right? Like you don't, even, you don't even notice it. And I think that that's a, not a bad analogy for the way that we as people are in the world, that we've, we've only known what the world is like, so it doesn't seem that unusual to us, right? Like if you were to ask a fish about water, you know what they'd say? What's water? Right? Like they, if all they've ever known is water, they don't even understand that there is water. And they just in, this, in the same way for us, we see this constant theme of light and darkness, but to understand and appreciate the light, you have to understand the dark. Okay, so First uh, John chapter one, would you a brief Bible study. Beginning in verse one, this is the very beginning of the book. John would say this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, uh, we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So, uh, john in the in in this book, first John, he starts it very similar to the way that he starts the Gospel of John and that he talks about the Word of God or the Word of life and he's when he says that he 's talking about not just some general concept of the Word of god he 's not even talking about the bible he 's specifically talking about jesus right and and because the spiritual teachers of the day, like they also talked about the word of God, right? The words of God. When John comes and he's contrasting this difference between him and them, and he's saying this, you know, the, the word of God that you talk about? Well, we heard this word with our own ears and we've, we've, we saw this word with our own eyes and we touched this word with our own hands. He's talking about touching, seeing, and experiencing Jesus, Verse two, the light appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Beautiful scripture. When when talking about Jesus, he says this, eternal life appeared to us. Love that, it's beautiful. Verse three, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, so God is light. That's what John wants to tell us. So what does that mean? Well, I've got two things for you. If you're taking notes, write these down. God is light shows God as revealer. Uh, you know, when you're in the dark, you make serious mistakes about what's true. I had a, years ago. I had a youth pastor or a youth leader when I was in this youth group named Kiko. Does anybody remember Kiko? I, okay, a few of you. Uh, so I loved Kiko and loved Kiko. And well, one time he was in, uh, asleep in his bed, and middle of the night he opens his eyes to find a mouse sitting on his chest. So he grabs the mouth and throws it against the wall and um, then goes back to sleep. Right? So thir- 30 minutes later, um, thirty minutes later, he wakes up and he finds the mouse is again sitting on his chest. So he grabs the mouse and he throws it against the wall. Well, come to find out Kiko had a fever and he was hallucinating. And what, he, what was apparently this mouse was just his other hand, right? So he was just throwing his other hand and then it would come back. So I don't know if you can imagine what it was like to be his wife sitting there next to him watching Kiko throw his hand. But your mind can play tricks on you in the dark, right? There's a lot that happens in the dark that we don't understand. That's why it's like so much crime happens in the dark because light reveals darkness, What? Conceals. There's so much that happens in uh, in the dark, and so in the light of Christ, though the idea is this: in the light of Christ, we are able to see the true, the good, and the beautiful. The true, the good, and the beautiful. The world has, if you don't know this, the world has absolutely no idea what is true, and the world has absolutely no idea what is good, and the world has absolutely no idea what is beautiful. And so what they do is they end up creating everything. They just put everything in these super broad categories, right? So where we can categorize something, but we are saved from having to make judgments on good versus evil. Want some examples of that. I've got five for you. Number one is this. Christianity teaches about angels and demons, right? So that's good and evil. What does the world believe in? Just spirits, right? It's just... Spirit, So you can see how that's, in essence, that's a, that's a Christian belief just with the idea of good and evil taken away, right? Continuing on, Christianity teaches about one true God and false gods. So we believe there's one true God and then there's false gods. What does the world teach? The world teaches all religions are the same, right? So Christianity is no different from anybody else. So can you see how it's a similar belief, but it's just the idea of good and bad, right and wrong, taken away. Number three, Christianity teaches about creator and creation. So we believe that God made the world and God is separate from the world, right? So he is the creator and he's not creation. What does the world teach? That God and the universe are one, Essentially, there's, there's actually a word for this, pantheism. Uh, pantheism is the belief that what God is, is a energy that flows through all creation. If you can think of Star Wars, right? Think of the force, right? The, the force that flows through all living things. That's essentially the idea of pantheism. And so, so we, of course, see God in creation, but we don't mistake God For creation, right? Like we see God in the hippopotamus because he made the hippopotamus, but we don't think the hippopotamus is God, right? So that's the distinction. Creator and creation and God and the universe are one. Number four, Christianity teaches about truth and lies. So there are things that in the world are unequivocally absolutely true. And there are things in the world that are unequivocally absolutely true. Not true. That's what the Christian, the Christian teaching is. The world says this, just make your own truth, right? That no one can tell me what is true for me except for me. Number five, lastly, Christianity teaches about God and mankind. So God, cre- just like God created the universe, God created mankind and he's distinct and he's different from mankind, right? So we have God who made mankind, but mankind is most certainly not God. What does the world teach? The world teaches that we're all part of the divine, right? So, so we're all, we all participate in the divine power of the world. And so then when, when it comes time to find truth, well, we don't look out to God to find truth. To find truth, we look where? inward, right, into, into ourself. The Christian, the Christian faith, though, doesn't make this mistake. The Christian uh, faith teaches that there is both light and darkness. Two distinct categories. And my point is this, is that God is only light, only. And how much darkness? None at all. And, and a lot of, let me just say this, a lot of Christians actually don't believe that. Right, like like we, we, we believe, at this church, we believe that God is only light and no darkness. He's only good and not at all evil. It's actually, in a way, it's kind of unpopular to even teach that in a church. A lot of churches will, will essentially present a, a view of God that he kind of turns into like this bipolar maniac where one day he loves you and the next day he's like riddling your body with disease. Right, because God contains both light and dark. It's essentially like the yin and the yang. You guys familiar with the the sign? I used to just think that the yin and yang was like a cool symbol to put on Chinese throwing stars. Turns out it's actually a Chinese philosophy. And the philosophy says this is that in any given entity, there's both light and dark. Right? That both light and dark together comprise every entity. In the world. That's how the world functions, right? So both good and bad in the same circle. And I'm actually mostly fine with that, with the exception of God. Right? God is God is only truth, he is no lies. Right? God is only holiness, he is no wickedness. God is only integrity, he is no deceit. Same can't be said for you. Sam not be said for me, right, I am a bundle of paradoxes and so are you, right? Like, like I, I believe and I doubt, right? Like, like I have faith and I have fear. I, I love and I hate, right? I tell the truth and I'm a liar, right? I'm, I'm trusting and I'm also cynical. I am honest and I play games, both, right? I'm a paradox, so are you. God though is different. God is only light. And I'm going somewhere with that. But you just get that. God is only light and no darkness. And if that's true, and it is, then here's the point. Then God revealed in Jesus is our best and most faithful metric by which we judge everything else. He, in fact, he's the only reliable metric by which we can consistently judge what is light and what is dark. For me, that's, that's like a profound comfort because the world continues to change in ways that I don't understand. And it keeps asking me questions that I don't know the answer to. When right? think about a couple years ago, there was all that stuff about, you know, the bathrooms, right? All the bathroom controversy on the news and like, who should, who should pee where? And like, I'm not totally sure. I, I think, I, like, I think I don't know. I, two things. I want, I want everyone to be able to pee and two, I want everyone to be safe. Like, is that an option? If that's one, I pick that one. Be able to pee and be safe, right? That's, but the world is confusing. It, like, it really is. And if, that's, if it's not that issue for you, it's something, right? There are things in you that are contradictions. You, you, you have ways of seeing the world that contradict other ways that you see the world. You just do. You're you're paradoxical at your core. It is not humanity's strength to tell what is and is not right. We're just not that great at that. And so that's why for me, like I get so much peace and I get so much joy knowing that even as the world continues to change more and more and more is that I have like the life and teachings of Jesus that will always point me to true north. Always. They, They will always be the thing by which I judge my action, you know, like, what would Jesus do? Such a dumb cliche, right? Overused. It's like, it's on, you know, tattooed on people, you know, like, like putting what would Jesus do on the back of like booty shorts, right? It was good. But you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea, right? And I think it's so, it's so beautiful to be able to, to think that it's like Jesus, there's one thing that's not going to change and it's that God is light, He's always light. He's consistently light. So if I'm ever not sure if something is light, well, at least I have one thing that acts as true north for me in my life. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 36, verse nine. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Isn't that interesting? For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Light. So in the light of God, we are able to tell what is and is not light. Through, through the life and teachings of Jesus, we are able to discern what is true, what is good, and what's beautiful. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. God is light shows God as healer. And so I want to talk about healing for a minute. And I know that the idea of healing can be like really strange and really spooky, but there's really no need for that because healing is, healing is God's character. It's what he does. And we're not just talking about only, only physical healing. We're talking about the soul, right? We're talking about internal wounds, you know, wounds from the past that like God is a healer. And it's not because he's deciding whether or not he wants to heal. It is, it's God's nature. He can't help himself, right? Like it's, He fixes broken things and he heals broken people because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's God's nature to heal bodies that are crippled by sickness. It's God's nature to heal minds that are crippled with worry. It's God's nature to heal souls that are crippled with scars from a painful past. And just in case you're In case you've heard this, healing is not something that passed away with the apostles. It was like as a way to validate the church. Healing is a beautiful gift from a loving father that is for all times, all places, all people. All times, all places, all people. And I actually think that that's actually an unpopular opinion. It's even an unpopular opinion at church, in a, in a lot of churches. But I still believe that Jesus is a healer. I think he wants to heal. I think that he's eager to heal. I think that he's, I think he's eager to be asked to heal. And not in some super generic way. Like, I actually believe that he wants to heal you. Right? Like, if you have something going on in your body or you have something going on in your heart and you don't know how to process something that's happened, like, I actually think that Jesus wants to heal you. Right? Not that he's indifferent to it, but that he wants to. And I know that there's so much weirdness when it comes to the idea of healing and, you know, there's like faith and there's faith healers and all that like crazy, weird stuff that has a way of maybe turning people away. And there's a huge culture around healing that honestly, I hate. Like, I, I really, I really do. Uh, because, because it's taken something that's really beautiful and something that's really simple and something that's really pure and turned it into something that's complicated and scary and spooky. And I think w- the worst thing is, is that on, only religion would come and do this and, and ruin something that was so great. But religion would come in and say that healing is only for super spiritual people, right, so, or maybe pe- people who talk super spiritual, right, like healing is for people who know how to, like, plead the blood, and, you know, whatever, I, I love all, the, I, I, li- I say that, right, but but it's a mistake to think that it's only the super spiritual talkers that are able to participate in the idea of God being a healer, that's a huge, a huge mistake, and it really bums me out, because what can happen is you've got, like, a regular, regular guy, works construction, has paint under his fingernails, right? Comes in to a church. Let's say maybe he has prostate cancer, right? And he'll come into a church and he would think, well, healing, you know, that's only for those super spiritual types. I want you to know this. You don't even have to be a Christian for God to heal you, (laughs) Right, like like you might be thinking, well, where'd you get that idea? Well, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Very few of you know, only a small percentage of the people that Jesus healed were his followers. Right? Like most of them were not following Jesus in any way. They had just heard that Jesus was in town, so they figured, well, maybe I'll go ask and boom. Right? And don't get me wrong, I actually I do recommend that you become a Christian. I do. I actually recommend that you live a holy life. I'm just saying it's not a prerequisite to be healed. It's for all times, all places, all people. And um, we can get ready for communion. I uh, have one more scripture that I'd like to read. And I think it really clarifies in a lot of ways kind of what I think is God's heart towards you when it comes to how this, all this stuff Works. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus would say this Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? This is not my wife's favorite scripture. She hates all things snake. If I ever write a Bible translation, I'll put in scorpion. Okay, verse 11. If you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask I love this I love I love the comparison I love comparing the a healthy parent's heart for their kids and God's heart for you I think that that's really that's really clarifying for me and he's saying this that like even though you are evil right like you wouldn't if you're kid asks you for a fish, you wouldn't give him a, like, ooh, surprise, black mamba, you know, rattlesnake, right? Like you would never do that. And he says, if you being evil would never do that, how much more does the father want to give you good gifts, The good, good, uh, good gifts to those who ask him how much more? And not just, what I want to say is it's not just that he's willing it's that he actually wants to. Like, I think I think that that's a big deal. And for me, it speaks my language because as a parent, my desire to take care of my kid is incredibly strong. Right? Like, I will do anything. I will stop at nothing to care for my child. And so, so when I when I understand God like that, it changes everything. Right? It, look, it feels totally different than. There's this mysterious force and that if you have exactly the right faith and you can you know, find a way to get the faith meter up past 75%, maybe you can get God to you know, do something. Like, no, he wants to give good gifts to his children. It's not just that God can heal. It's not just that God will heal. It's that he wants to heal, right? He delights in it. He, he gets pleasure out of giving good gifts to his children. Right, uh, I have a good dad. Uh, most of you know him, and uh, I've also told you that I'm not incredibly good at household, you know, chores. Like if a pipe, you know, like I don't know if there's something leaking, or sparking, or smelling. I don't know how to handle most of that. But so I'm not that handy. Luckily for me, my dad is one of the handiest people you've ever met right? And so if something's going wrong at the house, you know what I do? Call dad. That's right. Uh, and he'll come and save me. But it, and it's it's not that I, and here's what I don't do. I don't go to my dad and beg, please, please. You know, and I don't give him like here's five reasons why you should help me fix my plumbing, right? Like, or, or and what I definitely don't do is I don't barter with him, right? I don't like try to trade, you know, my holiness for like him to be willing to help me, right? Like he's he is my dad, and so he wants to help me, and that would be true of any of any healthy uh, parent. He wants to help me because he loves me, and I think the whole thing changes when you realize that God wants to come and help you, right? And you don't have to plead with him and you don't have to try to convince him. You know, like, God, if you, if you do what I'm asking, like, I won't have coffee for four weeks. Like, he doesn't need, he doesn't need any of that. God doesn't want you to come and, and barter with him what he wants. He just wants you to come and ask. That's what he wants. Because he wants to do it. Uh, I have... We, my wife and I, we live next to a park. We're very fortunate. We, um, we like our little area. And we've started doing this thing sometimes in the evenings is that me and Grace will go to the park for a daddy-daughter date and give mommy some alone time. Men, write that down. Uh, but we'll go, we'll go to the park, me and Grace. Grace is about 18 months old, if you don't know her. And so we go and I'll put her in the swing and she likes to swing and I'll grab her and we'll slide down the slide together and we go and we meet all the people in the park and we go and we pet all the friendly dogs, Uh, you know, and she's actually pretty tough when it comes to um, dealing with the cold temperature much much tougher than mom and even tougher than dad a lot of days. Like she does not want to come in. She just loves to be out there. But sometimes Grace will get cold, right? Or, or she'll get tired. And you know what she does? 10 times out of 10, she comes up and she raises her arms up. And again, 10 times out of 10, that means dad, I want you to pick me up and I want you to carry me. And 10 times out of 10, I do it, right? And, and the point is this, is that, is that I want to do it, right? It's not like, well, you know, how have you been doing with your naps, right? Like, how's your prayer life? You know what I Like, I'm trying to decide, you know, how much, how much do you believe that I'm gonna pick you up? Do you believe that I'm gonna pick you up? You because know, if you, like, I'm not doing, it's not, none of that stuff is happening. I want to pick her up right? And she certainly doesn't need to barter with me. Like, dad, if you pick me up, I'll give you some of my snack pack, right? I want to, I want to pick her up. I want to, right? And, and I just think, I think that's what the father wants, right? To, to come people, people in the room, you know, maybe you're, you feel like you're sick in your body or you're spiritually and emotionally weak. Maybe you're wounded, maybe you're hurt, Maybe you struggle with pain of a broken past that you don't, know how to, you don't know how to deal with. I honestly think that what God wants is for you to come to him and to just raise your arms up and say like, I need you to pick me up and I need you to carry me. And it changes when you realize that he wants to do that. It's, it's part of what it means for him to be light, right? He desires to give good ki- gifts to his children. You don't have to come and convince him. Right, and you're, you're not stressing yourself out. I told this the first service. If you're ever curious, like, oh, do I have enough faith? Do I not have enough faith? Where's the faith meter? Seventy-five percent. That's going to work, right? Oh, my! Fa- I prayed, but it was only forty-three percent, and God's not going to respect that prayer. I honestly believe this: that if you want to know if you have enough faith, it, it, the question is this: Do I have enough faith to even come and ask? Right? Like, how, how do you know if you have enough faith for the prayer? You prayed. Right? So that has to mean on some level, you believe it, it, in, in his ability to change something, right? And, and just knowing or looking at the father, not as a force that you can tap into if you know the right secret spell, but just to know, know healing is who he is, right? It, it, it's part of him being light and that's part of him being a loving father, Closing statement is this. In a world of darkness, God is light. And in his light, we are able to discern the true, the good, and the beautiful. God is not both good and bad, light and dark. No, God is only good, only light in God's light, we find our healing. It's not just that God can heal us or that he will heal us. It's that he delights in healing us. It brings him pleasure. God is a loving father who is eager to be asked and eager to be trusted. And the question for you as you go about your day is this, what have I been doing on my own that I need to invite God into? Right? What have I been doing on my own that I need to invite God into? For some of you, I would say that that has something to do with your family. I feel like I talk to people, me, Pastor Marshall, Pastor Cindy, my wife, we talk to people every week that have, that have situations in their families and they don't know how to deal with them. Right? So, so they come to us looking for some sort of, I believe, hybrid of prayer slash advice advice. And so here's here's the advice. I think that what God wants is for you to come and ask him to help you. That's what it wants. And we love love praying with you. We love giving you advice. We love talking with you. We love crying with you. We're here for you. But we would love if you would develop the confidence on your own to go to your father when you don't know what to do and just put your arms up and say like, I'm called, right? I want you to carry me, and confident that He wants to do that, that and that He that He will. Maybe for some of you, so it's your family. Maybe others, it's your past, right? You've had painful experiences in your past that you don't know how to, you don't even go there because because there's pain that you're not even ready to deal with. I think maybe one thing that God would want of you in that situation would be to invite Him into your past to heal things that only he can heal. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, you need to invite God into your uh, your success. Did you know that God, like any loving father, doesn't only wanna talk to you when you're feeling bad, right? He also wants to celebrate with you when you win, when you when when things happen that are actually good, you know, when you figure something out, when when there's something that happens in your life that's actually really cool. God wants to be a part of that as well. As well. He doesn't want to just be the God that you come to when it's all hit the fan. Right? So so what is it, what have I been doing on my own that I need to invite God into? And as they pass, just maybe spend just a little a little time asking yourself that question and in whatever way you can in your own heart inviting him in even in these moments to come and occupy places in your heart and in your life that maybe up to this point you've said no to so just find your way into that uh, for one minute, we'll pass out the communion elements. What we need you to do is just hold on to the communion elements. And then once we all have them, just hang out in your seat. You'll receive the elements and hold on to them once we're all done. And then we'll receive communion together. You guys can go ahead and pass. Thanks. Thanks.
1: Make me a vessel. Make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. Oh, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring a new life out of me. To carry your new fire today. So make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing. But all you have given me Jesus bring a new wine out of me Make me your vessel Make me an offering Make me whatever You want me to be Oh I came here with nothing but all you have given me So Jesus bring a new wine out of me. Oh Jesus bring a new wine out of me Yes Jesus bring a new wine out of me
0: So this communion invitation that I like to read, just in case you don't know. It's, a, it's an old uh, prayer from the Church of Scotland that I came across a few years ago, and I, I really love it. I think it's orienting for me, uh, reminding me of what we're doing. And here's the invitation. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come to the table. Let me pray for you. Father, today, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here, so many people with so so much road behind them and so much road in front of them still people who are going through all sorts of different things fighting fighting different battles trying to understand who you are and trying to understand who they are my prayer would be that in a world that can seem really crazy and chaotic and and always changing that that they would learn to trust you as that true north for them in their life, that they would learn to, to look to you and look to Jesus for all the clarity that they need when it comes to who God is and who they're called to be. It's so both summed up perfectly in Jesus. And so Jesus, as we come to your table uh, today, we, we remember that this is not an earned it thing. Not a single one of us here deserves to come to your table, but we're all invited just the same, each and every one of us. And so, so it levels us out, so that the high we find, we find humility, and, and the lowly we find, we find exaltation that you build us up, to where we're all just equal brothers and sisters in a room coming to the table of Jesus. And Jesus, we say this, that we remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return. We remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return. So let's eat the bread and drink from the cup.